Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research, will cover part eight of a 10-part series on the six days of creation. Here's Dr. Morris. On day five, when God made the air creatures and the water creatures, spreading them all over the earth, apparently, an abundance of the living creatures, God seems to continue with that same theme through most of day six, where he makes the land creatures. He stopped somewhere on day six and made man just one unique being that would bear his image. But he continued in the theme of making many, perhaps millions of different creatures after their kind that were to dwell on the land. As the story continues, written down by God, God said, let the earth bring forth living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Continuing to create and to make living creatures, God turned his attention to the land. But notice right off the bat, he repeats this idea of according to its kind, according to its kind. Now, once again, the categories are very broad, cattle, beast of the earth, creeping things. But within these broad creature categories are the subkinds that don't mix. That is, an elephant doesn't become a cow they are different in some way, and God designed them in such a way that they would be able to reproduce, but only after their kind. The first broad category that God uses is the term cattle. The Hebrew word is behemoth. It's used by the Creator and later by Moses to describe the land animals that people were most familiar with. Cattle will still generally means any kind of livestock, from cows to sheep, and most of the 189 times the term appears in the Old Testament, the context references food or sacrificial laws. Obviously, the reference to food was made long after permission was given to Noah in Genesis 9 to eat the animal flesh. But whatever these animals were, it appears clear that they would have included all of the land animals that mankind has generally domesticated or raised agriculturally for food. The main difference between these cattle and the beast of the earth seems to be their personality preference. Now, you know animals express self-awareness as well as distinct personalities. Some, of course, are less, less personable than others, but there's an obvious gap between farm animals and house pets and the wild beasts of our planet. Just what separates the fowls that fly in the atmosphere of day five 
most of which feed and house on land, and the cattle of day six is not clear either in biology or in Scripture. God separated them in his mind, however, and as any person who has had close contact with animals knows, farm animals and house pets are generally given far more freedom than birds. Birds generally need a cage or a chain or they'll fly away. Cats and dogs, however, know the hand that feeds them and often manage the people who care for them. Now, these creeping things, that's another category, this second broad term that's used by the Creator, evidently to designate a category of animals in the Hebrew word that means uh, slimy, slinky, sneaky. The Hebrew word is ramies. It's used mostly in the creation record and the account of the global flood and in the dietary laws. Twice the word appears in the Psalms and once in the prophetic passage, and all of the occasions appear to speak of small animals that slink or glide in the most inaccessible parts of the earth. The man-made system of taxonomy, as useful as it may be for our efforts to categorize, doesn't seem to apply here. God uses much broader concepts, evidently creating the vast kinds in direct proportion to how these creatures would relate to humans. Thus, cattle would be the types of animals that would be most easily brought into the association with man. Creeping things and beasts of the earth are broad summaries of animal life that would not normally be a part of the domesticated household. Therefore, it seems appropriate to think of these creeping things as the weasels and the rodents and the possums and the shrews and the reptiles and the amphibians, etc. That list is in no sense meant to be complete, but merely illustrative since there are nearly 20,000 different species of these kinds of creeping things, the list would probably also include the one million or so species of insects and the 100,000 or so species of spiders and scorpions. People don't generally get along with any of these very well. So when God was talking about the cattle, those are the animals that we would be most familiar with and most likely use in our ordinary living styles. The wild beast would obviously be ones that are not our familiar friends, the ones we see often in zoos or out there somewhere that we tend to protect ourselves from. And the creeping things, the ones we'd just as soon either not see or not know or not have around the house. God has put them all together in a broad category, but to each, he says, you're my design. You're here to teach people something about me, and you have the authority to reproduce after your kind. Let's take a short break. Stay with us. What happened to the dinosaurs? Are monkeys and people the same? Why do we live on Earth and not some other planet? Kids have some great questions about God's creation, but do you have the answers for them? At the Institute for Creation Research, our scientists and Bible scholars have produced The Guide to Creation Basics. This book contains full-colored images and fascinating commentary from experts in biology, geology, astronomy, and biblical study. Guide to Creation Basics can help teach your children how the animals could fit on Noah's Ark, how dinosaurs and humans could live at the same time, and how God's power and wisdom can be seen in something as small as a single cell. Find basic answers to your child's biggest creation questions. Order your copy of Guide to Creation Basics from the Institute for Creation 
creation research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting www.icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Morris. Okay, God has said, I made you some cattle, animals that you can use and be familiar with. There are also some creepy things that you're not particularly uh, aware of, perhaps, or really don't want around your house. But then there's this other category, the beast of the earth. Some of those are really fascinating. This final category obviously includes everything that is not cattle or creeping things. That phrase appears 24 times in the Old Testament. Most of the places it appears outside of the creation account, and it describes the beasts eating other animals, and in some cases, the flesh of wicked men. Whatever these animals are, they are not pets. When God gives his discourse to Job, he mentions the lion and the wild goat, the wild ass, and the ostrich as examples of the types of animals that Job or his fellow men would not keep around their houses or their fields. God also takes special care to describe behemoth and leviathan, both of which are huge, wild animals, and Job was familiar but would not have planned to keep them around his house as pets. Leviathan was obviously a sea monster. We talked about that a little bit earlier, and that has evidently become extinct. Behemoth fits perfectly the description of the larger sauropods, the four-footed dinosaurs that we find in the fossil record. Let me read from God's quotation as he talks to Job about behemoth. Look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. Please note that. God said, I made this big creature along with you. He eats grass like an ox. He has strength in his hips. His power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring him near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him. And all the beasts of the fields play there. He lies under the lotus trees, in a covert of the reeds in the marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade, and the willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He's confident, though the Jordan rushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. Now, many modern Bible editions attempt to pass this creature off as either an elephant or a hippopotamus. <laughs> Once again, either God was confused about what he and Job were both familiar with, or the scholars are wrong. Neither an elephant nor a hippopotamus has a tail, for instance, like a cedar tree. And although the hippopotamus lives in a river, the elephant does not. And an elephant may live near a mountain or under trees, but the hippopotamus does not. But as the total description is easily matched to what we know from the fossil record. All of the replicating processes that God created, from the simplest plant to the most complex life, were limited to reproducing after their kind. This emphasis is repeated on day three to the sprouts of the earth, 
and on day five and day six to all of the living creatures. Everything was to fill the earth and be fruitful, but only after its kind. The design implications are vital to understand. Not only do the obvious limitations prohibit the artistic concept of a common ancestor, but the inferences certainly seem to be verified by all the observation we can make. The word of the Scripture is absolutely verified by what we see. Everything God did was give it power to reproduce after its kind. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.